all hits all the time. We are family. Max Scherzer, double-digit case. We're busting ours. Pick yours. Fun to watch. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast from the Mass and Newsroom. Bobby Blanco and Amy Jennings with you as always. Thank you for making us a part of your Wednesday afternoon. Hopefully you're tuning in on the Mass and Nationals Facebook page or YouTube channel. Also live on Mass and Nationals Twitter account. Uh, be sure to comment along. We've got actually a kind of surprisingly jam-packed episode with the news from earlier this week and late last week. Uh, so be sure to be a part of the show. We'll be commenting and reading out some of your comments along throughout the show. Uh, it's getting supposed to be colder. It's a gray day. Um, I was very concerned about what to wear today if you're watching along live with us. Um, I <laughs> pulled out the long sleeve shirt because it looked gray and cold and it's almost 75 degrees outside. I'm confused. It's mid to late October. The World Series is starting. You would think it'd be colder, Amy, but it is not. It's actually hot and humid. It feels like we're mid-August. This, this time of year, you just really never know. But this weekend, I think it's supposed to be like 78, yeah, almost 80 heck? degrees. That is not normal October weather, but you just never know. Never know what you're going to get. I went with the short sleeve. Bobby went with like the three-quarter length here. Yeah, I had to roll so the sleeves. It was kind of warm. It does. Um, I mentioned the World Series starting. Obviously, a different story than last year. This time last year. We were getting ready for game one of the 2019 World Series. Obviously an exciting time. This year, Amy, you and I did um, a March Madness-style bracket pick yes, on the podcast on the day the, the playoffs started. Mine completely busted. Uh, I don't think – I didn't have any of the four teams in the league championship series, I don't believe. And actually, the two teams that represent – uh, the National American League in the World Series actually knocked out the two teams that I picked oh. in the Yankees and the Padres. So my bracket's absolutely busted. Were you close at all? I think I didn't have anybody in the AL um, in the championship series, but I have the Dodgers still in it. I picked the Dodgers to win it all. So all right, well, you have I'm a good holding chance. on to that. Or do you have a – I know game one's already over. Uh, the Dodgers flex their muscles. They look really, really good in game one coming off a good win. Um, in Game 7 against the Braves, which is the proper thing. Everyone should be rooting for the Braves to lose and not win. Division <laughs> Allegiance is not a thing in a professional sports. Uh, do you have a pre, did you have a pre-World Series prediction uh, between the Dodgers and the Rays? I mean, it's really hard to tell this year, but I'm going to say the Dodgers in six. Six? Yeah. yeah. I, I think I was going to – the Dodgers need to avoid Game 7 in my mind. Yeah. I think if they get to a Game 7 and the Rays push them, all the pressure in the world will be on L.A. to win that. Because they uh, already have so much pressure on them. Exactly. Imagine if it goes to a Game 7. That that never ends well. So uh, Three World Series in the past four years. Obviously, last year was the outlier there. But I, I think – and if look, if they played the way last night, their offense is just so stacked. And then, you you know, they win with Kershaw, Clayton Kershaw, which we should talk about at another podcast, mm -hmm. uh, Clayton Kershaw's postseason resume. Um, and and the, the idea that he is – He's not good in the postseason. He's good in the postseason. He might just not be clutch. Different conversation for a different right, day, though. Right. Um, yeah, I think the Dodgers, if they're going to win, they need to win in five or six. Um, I, I don't imagine a sweep going, obviously. I don't think they – I think the Rays are too, too good. If the Rays it's, – it's one or the other. If the Dodgers if – they, if they play the way they want to play, which is score a bunch um, and rely on a good starting pitching – 
they're going to run away with it. If they play the Ray style, which is low scoring and good pitching front to back, right. including that bullpen, that's, that's the point. Rays. That's the way they're going to have a chance. And, and you know, which Dodgers team is going to show up? The one from Game One, or the one that we saw for the mo- for the early part of the NLCS against the Braves? Uh, but yeah, I think if it goes seven, I'm picking also the Dodgers in six. But if it goes seven. I would say the Rays, that's their chance to win, is to put all the pressure on the Dodgers yeah. to win in seven after three. And they and could four. do it. I yeah. mean, that, that's absolutely possible. So that's going to be really interesting to see. Exciting that we still have baseball, even mm-hmm. if the Nationals aren't in it. So let's get into some um, Nationals news. A hiring this week, big hiring. Jim Hickey hired as the pitching coach for the Nationals, a guy who we kind of saw coming because of his experience with Davey Martinez we talked about last week. We thought these hires, once he finally got his guys in there, hired his coaching staff, it would be guys that he knows well and guys with a lot of experience, and Jim Hickey is one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let's go through his resume real quick as – we kind of discuss it. You, know, you mentioned this is going to be 2021 will be his 16th season as a major league baseball head, co- uh, sorry, pitching coach. He spent time with the Astros, the Rays and the Cubs. Uh, he started in the Astros, uh, organized minor league organization, uh, with triple new Orleans way back when he's made a couple world series along the way. He's coached 12 different all-star pitches, uh, including Alex Colomay, Chris Archer, Brad Boxberger, David Price, of course, uh, Matt, Fernando Rodney, a former national, uh, <laughs> James Shields, Rafael Soriano, another former national, Roger Clemens, Roy Oswald, Brad Lidge. Great list of names that he's helped along the way. And you look at this Nationals pitching staff, of course, you're going to add a couple guys like Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin. He spent the last two seasons as a special assistant in the Dodgers organization. Um, so a good, a good, another organization that values starting pitching uh, like the Dodgers do. Obviously, Kershaw, Walker, Bueller. Um, so, you know, we talked about Davey wanting to get his guy. This was his guy. And I think the, the timing of it all shows that this had been kind of in the process for a while. We're going to hear from Jim Hickey in just a little bit. But he had his introductory press conference via Zoom on Monday. Um, and he was asked, you know, when did it start kind of mm-hmm. coming al- coming together? And, you know, he had to be careful because you don't want to seem like Davey was already tabbing him before he even let go Paul Menhard and the other guys. But he was like, it's been about 10 days. And he add that up. So this has obviously been in motion for, for a while now. Davey had tagged him as his guy from the get-go. And the, the speed of all this happening uh, the firing, not the firing, the letting go of the coaches mm-hmm. last week and then the hiring of Jim Hickey on Monday goes to show that, D- that Davey has been wanting to do this um, for, or has at least been thinking about it for a while. Yeah, this was definitely a name that was thrown out, um, you know, the week, two weeks leading up to this. Um, and he really seems like a great fit. Not only does he have that experience with Davey Martinez, but he has that experience working with elite pitchers, elite prospects. Um, this is an organization that really wants to start to develop their pitchers from within. So that seems like a great pitch pick. Um, and he, what I thought was interesting is, well, we'll talk about, he talks about his philosophy in his introductory uh, press conference, but he's a huge believer in the changeup, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting because Paul Menhart was known as, you know, the Nationals changeup guru, right? He helped so many pitchers um, develop and master that pitch. And um, so I think that'll be a really good fit for this, not only the starting rotation, but then you look at the bullpen and guys like, you know, um, Daniel Hudson, who throws a ton of changeups. So I thought that was, you know, a little extra note that was, that seems like this is a really good fit. And, you know, not only his experience with, you know, coaching elite elite pitchers. Yeah, and we talked about it even last year too. Steven Strasburg is known to have one of the best changeup, if not the best changeup in all of baseball. And of course, we saw him use that uh, pitch so effectively in 2019 postseason that really put that pitch on the map. 
because, you know, you could talk about Max Scherzer's fastball, his slider, but that changeup is really one of the best pitches that we've seen on the staff. And when he's using that and can work it off his fastball, Steven Strasburg is a scion candidate, one of the best pitchers mm-hmm. in all the sport. Um, I also thought it was interesting that Jim Hickey was talking about how he kind of likes the pace. You know, he wants to mm-hmm. go. He wants quick. to move quick and move, work fast. Um, and we know that's how Max likes to work. Steven Strasburg, maybe not so much. He, li- he likes to work at his own tempo, tempo. But when he gets a good pace going, he can keep it up. Um, we saw him a couple times last year, even kind of like clap for the ball a little bit. Like, I'm, give me the, I'm in a rhythm. Right. Let's go. So it'll be interesting to see how how that kind of – Interacts and, and Amy, the thing with pitching coaches, especially at this level, and not just pitching coach, any kind of assistant coach on, on a major league roster, how much are you actually coaching? You look at guys like Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin. These guys are established veterans. They've been around for a long time. They know what the, they know what they want to do. They know uh, how their style works. How they make their own adjustments. You're not really coaching per se. Mm-hmm. It's his coaching, Jim Hickey's, is more going to come with the Austin Voths, the Joe Rosses, the Eric Fettys, the guys in the bullpen, the young arms that we could possibly see come up next year. Um, he was even asked about how do you develop some of these arms that were at the alternate training site that you might see in spring training and then at some point next year. So, uh, you know, when it comes to that, and we're going to hear from him in just a second because he talks about how he has he, he's not really much coaching these players. He's earning their trust so he can go up to Max. He can go up to Steven and be like, hey, this is what I'm seeing. Maybe you should try this, tweak this a little bit. Yeah, and that's the difference that, you know, between an average coach um, at any position um, and, and a great coach at this level. We talked about it last week with Paul Menhart. You know, he had so much success in developing guys throughout the organization as he coached at almost every level in the Nationals minor league system but didn't have that much success at the major league level. Um, whereas Jim Hickey has had a ton of experience at the major league level developing, you know, elite pitchers. And he he hopefully will be able to find that balance. He's not just walking into a major league rotation. He's walking into one of the best in baseball. And it's not going to be developing. It's going to be building a relationship with them, you know, finding their pace, earning their trust, which he talked about being one of the most important things. Um and, you know, that, that's what kind of determines whether you have an average coach or a great coach. Yep. Well, we, we established his time with Davey Martinez, uh, of course, with their time in Tampa Bay, and then how he's going to approach this veteran pitching staff. Let's hear from Jim Hickey right now. He talks about, first, his relationship with Davey Martinez and how they can work together, and then goes on to see how we can start earning the trust of guys like Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg. Yeah, that is one of the big advantages to uh, just having a relationship with somebody because uh, in my biased opinion, I think the most important aspect of the game is just the management of the bullpen. Uh, So you have to have that close relationship and you have to be able to uh, be on the same page and at least have the same thoughts, even a couple of innings in advance. Um, But watching Davey, I believe 2008 was our first year together with Tampa Bay and just watching, uh, you know, him go from, uh, almost a, a, a guest in spring training to uh, a really, really good bench coach to winning the World Series in Chicago and to winning it on his own, especially after the start uh, to that season, holding that together there. Uh, I think that's probably the most impressive thing that I've seen him do as far as being in the manager's seat anyway. Um, you've also had your share of big name starting pitchers in particular that you've coached uh, in Houston and Tampa, Chicago. Obviously, you're going to have some big names here with this staff. 
how as a pitching coach do you work with those guys? What's the balance between trusting these guys who've been there, done that, know what they're good at, what they need to do, how they're feeling versus being able to step in and say, well, hang on. I think I see this or I see that. Well, I think you, you use the word trust and I think that that's extremely important, but I think that it's, it's kind of the opposite way. It's, uh, getting them to trust me, you know. Um, so it's all about relationships as far as that goes, learning what works for, you know, Max Scherzer might not work for, you know, Voth, uh, you know, that type of a thing. So uh, just building relationships, getting to know guys, I think that that's the most important thing. And just not to, not, not to, not pushing my, not my will, but, you know, if I have an idea, I'll certainly share it and, you know, kind of find that common ground and, and bring that up. But most of these guys have a pretty good idea, especially the veteran guys, obviously, uh, what it is that makes them tick and what they, what they need to uh, have me watch out for, or at least be aware of. So I'm looking forward to that. That's one of the funnest parts of the job, actually. So right there, Amy, you kind of, you know, you, first of all, you can tell this guy's been around the block. You know, mm -hmm. he, he knows what comes with the position. He knows the right things to say. I, I think it's going to be real interesting to see how him and David work together. He talks about it's more like I, I am his voice when it comes to bullpen decisions and, and, and how late starters should go. Um, and then also moving on to earning the trust. I think that's really important that, you know, with guys like these, like, I'm not going to be doing too much coaching. It's more so earning their mm -hmm. trust so they trust me. So when I do come up with a suggestion, a suggestion that they're all in for it. No, it's exciting to see, you know, Davey get his guys in there. Um, and, you know, we'll see how they succeed. But it's also going to be good for the team and good for – good for the players to have some consistency right once they get that coaching staff in there give them some consistency to build off and build that relationship so. yeah absolutely so good luck to jim hickey um and the nationals coaching staff dave martinez still has to fill out a bench coach um and no that's Main not coach. true because dim bogart's still around so hitting coach and then I guess a third base coach with the exit of Chip Hill. Um, so still more hires to come. Of course, we'll be covering it along the way and on MassInSports.com. So be sure to stay tuned throughout the offseason. Uh, all right, moving on, because the other news from last week, this was going to be the main focal point of our, our episode until the uh, Jim Hickey hire came on Monday. But last Thursday, Michael A. Taylor uh, cleared waivers and elected free agency. He will be ending his tenure with the Washington Nationals after seven seasons. Uh, was drafted all the way back in 2009, I believe, um, uh, in the same draft as Steven Strasburg, which is funny enough to believe if you th believe that. Um, looking back, you know, Michael A. Taylor was never the guy that they maybe expect. Maybe expectations were set too high for him. Um, he was maybe pegged as the guy who would fill in if Bryce Harper did leave and become a part of that all-star outfielder. Uh, he ended up just being kind of the fourth outfielder, maybe even the fifth outfielder at times, and going back and forth between the minor leagues and the major league club. Never really established himself as a full-time major leaguer, uh, but had his moments, and, and he had a flair for the dramatic and came up big, and especially in October. Um, and I think Nationals fans will look back fondly on his time in D.C., uh, he was always a fan favorite, very kind to the media, great guy. You know, his, his smile was infectious. Uh, his lack of emotion on the field <laughs> got, was good for a laugh um, every now and then. But, um, you know, I think this is it's, it's one of those guys, you, you know, because he, you're just so used to seeing him around, whether with the club or in the minor league system, it's going to be weird to see Michael A. Taylor in a different uniform wherever he signs. You know, yeah, you talked about Michael A. Taylor kind of came up at a weird time. You talked about maybe he would be the next man up after Bryce Harper, but then he wasn't, kind of turned into a fourth or fifth option out there. And then you had the 
great rookies in Juan Soto and Victor Robles who came up and filled those outfield spots quickly. So he kind of fell into a weird, weird spot in that outfield. He was drafted as a middle infielder, eventually transferred out to the um, to the outfield where his, you know, quick defensive elite skills, you know, filled in just fine out there. Um, but he could, was never able to put up consistent offensive numbers um, outside of his postseason um, numbers, but he just wasn't consistent at the plate uh, regardless of how great his, his defensive skills were. Yeah, his best year probably was in 2017. Uh, I, I think he gives a lot of credit to Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker was always a big fan of Michael A. Taylor. Um, for a long time in his in his tenure in D.C., he was known to have sneaky pop, uh, was always a threat to go deep, but the average was never really there. He was a career two nine, uh, excuse me, uh, 237 average hitter with the Nationals. His best year was, again, that 2017 season when he hit 271 for an 806 ops. Um, only hit, hit 19 home runs that year, 53 RBI, but... You know, back in 2019, he only spent 53 games with the big league club and hit three uh, only one home run with three RBI. But then you look at the postseason numbers, Amy. Again, this is something yeah. I always like referred to him as uh, postseason Matty Ice, uh, Mr. October. I, I mean, it's just 16 games, hit 316, hit four home runs, of course, the Grand Slam and the NLDS against the Cubs, 10 RBIs, um, an ops of over 1,000, just unbelievably clutch in the October in October mm -hmm. and very very average if not a little lower than average throughout the regular season he did not shot and maybe that's just his demeanor you know we kind of joke about how nothing phased him you know he hits a walk-off single or double that one time and just kind of stands at second base pale face everyone knows what I'm talking about he catches <laughs> the game-winning fly ball in game five against the Dodgers last year to finally get the Nationals over the hump and he just kind of Lifts up his glove and is like, I, I got it. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, that, I think that just goes to, like, no moment was too big for him. And it, the regular season, for whatever reason, could not click, cannot stay consistent. But when it came to the postseason, he just treated like any other at bat and and didn't let himself get too psyched out. Right, and you don't see that very often where a guy struggles in the regular season but comes in clutch and puts up great postseason numbers. That's kind of bizarre. You don't see that too often, but it kind of makes you feel good as a manager when you have a player that you know you can turn to on the bench. This past year in 2019, he ended up playing five consecutive postseason games, started in five consecutive postseason games, which probably he would have never guessed was going to happen. You talk about that grand slam back in 2017, I'm sorry, in the NLDS. It was the first grand slam in postseason Nats history. Um, and then this year, you know, he had only had one plate appearance in the World, in the World Series. It was a home run. Uh, so if he never plays in another World Series game, he'll have a perfect on-base plus <laughs> slugging percentage, yeah. which I think is just, wow, the ultimate Michael A. Taylor stat. I mean, it just, just a bizarre guy, kind of, you know, shows no emotion, um, but just just such a fan favorite and you know it's it's sad to see him go but his I mean that's just how we'll be remembered I think yeah. his postseason numbers yeah and then also his glove I think we're talking we're harping a lot on his off offensive ability but his glove was something that no matter who was the manager Dusty Baker uh David Martinez now they trusted him in the outfield he was a a plus outfielder defensively could plug him in any three outfield spots uh, was great in the postseason in terms of defensive replacements and stuff like that. So, and his speed on the base pass, he's actually going to leave third all time in the nationals, the nationals club, not expose exclude expose excluded, but the nationals club third all time in stolen bases behind only Ian Desmond and Trey Turner. Trey Turner uh, is, is the club leader. So, I mean, he's got speed. He's got, he brings stuff to the table. You know, we talk about the sneaky pop, the speed on the base path, the elite glove, uh, the arm strength actually kind of sneaky too. Not that he ever really needed it because he was almost getting, always getting to the ball. Uh, but he brings 
something to the table. And, and you think back to a couple of years ago too, Amy, that this he was a name that was popping up a lot in trade rumors. You know, for a long yeah. time we were talking about, well, they're going to trade him to the Yankees. The Yankees could be inter- in- inquiring in him. Oh, yeah. uh, and, and do you extend Bryce Harper and then just let Michael A. Taylor go? And then almost like and the Juan Soto emergence shook everything for this organization, but that kind of put Michael A. Taylor, the odd man, out. Uh, um, once Juan Soto established himself as a superstar, Victor Robles being the center fielder of the future, and and Andrew Stevenson's strong finish to the season and strong finish last season. So you know it's just it's it's a money thing too. We can get to that in his contract status a little in, in just a second. But you know Michael A. Taylor shouldn't be just thought of as a guy they're casting aside. He brings things to the table. I would expect someone will sign him uh, fairly quickly to be yeah. either. You know, a starting outfielder on a bad team or a fourth option, replacement yeah. option or bench option mm-hmm. on a good team. Yeah, it wasn't just that, you know, he couldn't put up those consistent offensive numbers. It's just that, like I said, he walked into a crowded outfield. We didn't, just like you said, you didn't expect the emergence of Juan Soto. That happened that quick and that great. Same thing with Victor Robles out there. And he was just kind of fell into a crowded outfield, but he was a great option for the Nationals. And he will certainly fit in either a fourth outfield option or um, could start on a um, not so great team. So let's get into the timing of this all because, you know, obviously the off season technically hasn't started for Major League Baseball. Free agents aren't actually free agents yet. No one can really sign right now. And obviously the World Series is happening. But mm-hmm. so he clears waivers. The Nationals put him on waivers and he cleared outright at a AAA. He elected to go to free agency instead of taking the assignment um, because, you know, he was out of options. And, and it's smart on both parties, you know, because the Nationals, if they waited too long to do this, which I don't think they would have, I mean, Mike Rosen knows what he's doing, they wouldn't have let it get to this point, but if they had, they would have had the Gardner arbitration with him, Uh, they would have had to owe him more money than they were paying him this year, I know it was prorated, but you know the the point, Um, and and again, we talked about the, to me, this also signifies that Mike Rizzo already has an idea that they're going to upgrade in the outfield this, because you're not going to go into next season I'm, I'm, we're also assuming that Adam Eaton's is walking this season too. Mm-hmm. You're not going to go next year with Andrew Stevenson, no offense to him, as your starting right fielder or left fielder, whatever it may be. And we saw Juan Soto playing right field as opposed to left field at the end of the season. So I, I think in the back of their minds, they are targeting a big acquisition either via trade or via free agent signing in this outfield. That's why they felt comfortable letting Michael yeah. A. Taylor go to one, clear up some money space, and two, uh, clear up that roster space because he was not going to be a part of the future. Yeah, not only the arbitration money, but it just it makes sense right now. You saw the writing on the wall at the end of the season, testing Juan Soto out and right field and Andrew Stevenson. There, there's some talks about you know the way he you know he produced at the end of last season. Could he be the next option there? But that just doesn't make sense. I think the writing's on the wall. They're going to go after um, somebody to fill out that outfield, assuming that Adam Eaton walks. And not only you know they do they need to fill that outfield spot, but they need to get Juan Soto some support in that lineup. So I think it'll be a combination of both. Probably you know a veteran bat coming from somewhere. Yep. So if you're watching along with us again on the Madison Nationals Facebook page or the YouTube channel, comment along with your favorite Michael A. Taylor memory. There's a handful of them. Again, is uh, a fan favorite guy. I know he loved, fans love talking to him at uh, events like uh, Winterfest, um, you know, spring training, stuff like that. So, you know, fond memories of Michael A. Taylor in D.C. We wish him the best moving forward with his career. And it'll be interesting to see how the Nationals go and fill his spot. Um, in the outfield and on the bench. Um, so this kind of leads us into our next part of our conversation, mm-hmm. Amy, 
and that let's look at the rest of the pending free agents. Um, Michael Taylor was going to be a candidate to be non-tendered anyways, we just mentioned because of not wanting to go to arbitration with him um, and not being part of the future plans. Rowaness Elias is also in that group of probably being non-tendered. His time with the Nationals is interesting too because you know, he, he was acquired last year via trade with the uh, Mariners, and then he gets hurt uh, swinging. Uh, it, what were they, in Miami, when he wasn't supposed to be because – it was just a bizarre thing. He never really pitched with the no. Nationals. I don't know if Mike Rizzo will trust to bring him back. I would figure he would just get non-tendered as well, and they'll find a way to replace his spot in the bullpen elsewhere. Um, but yeah. there are a lot of big names. These are these are the guys that are pending free agents. Their contracts are up, or they are facing options um, on on their contracts uh, once free agency opens up. Um, at the conclusion of the World Series. And a lot of these names are big names. The biggest one, of course, probably is Ryan Zimmerman. That's also a big question mark is what is Ryan Zimmerman going to do next year? Assuming that we're back to normal sort of in 2021 for the baseball season. He opted out, of course, in 2020. What will Ryan Zimmerman do? That's going to be a big question. And that kind of has a domino effect on how some of these other guys will will play a factor in, in what Mike Rosa will do with some of these contract statuses. Yeah, going into this season, signing that one-year deal, you know, Ryan Zimmerman was pretty much saying, this is going to be my last year playing baseball. We're going to stick it out for one more year. But then, of course, he ended up opting out of this season. So that kind of puts everything into a weird position. Um and then, you know, they're going to go out this offseason and, and look for infielders and look for infielders that can play a couple different positions. So that's, you know, that's going to depend on what they're looking for. But a weird, weird position that they're in here with Ryan Zimmerman. And so, like I said, he, his decision will kind of have a domino effect, right? So if he decides to come back, then he's your starting first baseman, most likely. And, and, this, and of course, both sides have to agree and We'll see what happens there. Um, but if he tries to give it a go one more year uh, and go out actually playing baseball um, <laughs> before he hits retirement, then that's your right-handed first baseman. We know the Nationals want to add a lefty first baseman. And there are, you know, on this roster, Eric Thames currently has a $4 million mutual option or a $1 million buyout for 2021. My gut would be that Eric Thames will not be returning in 2021. No. Um, but... And this, that's kind of regardless of Ryan Zimmerman's status. Like, they're going to need a left-handed first baseman regardless. But if Ryan Zimmerman doesn't come back, you need a starting first baseman first and foremost, whether it's left-handed or right-handed. Uh, so Ryan Zimmerman's decision in 2021 will affect the rest of these guys because then you also look at Howie Kendrick and Estrubo Cabrera, guys who have played first base for this team, uh, are also pending free agents. So Ryan Zimmerman is kind of like maybe needs to be the first card to fall before everyone else kind of figure out where they fit in either this team or elsewhere. That's a good point. And we talked about the kind of the dismantling of that World Series team. A lot of guys who just fit into that puzzle at the right place at the right time. Um, and now we're kind of seeing their their contracts come to an end here. And Ryan Zimmerman didn't play this year, but he's going to have a big hand in how the rest of these guys' career play out with the Nationals. Um you know, yeah, you talk about Eric Thames, probably not going to be returning to the Nationals. He just, you know, he came in to be that that option at first base um, and also that big bat and just didn't produce produce in 2020 like they needed him to. And then you talk about Howie Kendrick, a big piece in that World Series team, um, but, you know, also wasn't able to produce this year like they needed him to. So 
um, kind of, yeah, Ryan Zimmerman's going to be the first uh, domino to fall, and then the rest is going to hopefully fall into place. And we know Ryan Zimmerman has also said he it's it's D.C. or bus. You know, he's only going to play here. He does not want to go play anywhere else. So it's if he's going to play, it's going to be here, um, and then that's where everything else kind of falls into place. Mm-hmm. So we move on to Howie Kendrick. Like you mentioned, I, I think we both agree that Eric Thames will, won't return. Um, they'll just buy him out with the $1 million. Thank you for your time. You, he hit 203 in 41 games this season uh, as left-handed first baseman. They'll find they've and they've done this before. They find they can find someone else to be the backup left-handed hitting first baseman. Um, but then you move to Howie Kendrick, and you know, here's a guy who, like you said, was a postseason hero, an LCS MVP, um, professional hitter. He also mentioned at the end of this season, you know, he was going into 2020 thinking it would be his last season anyways, and mm-hmm. then it didn't go as planned. He spent Got most hurt. of the most of the season injured. Uh, obviously, the Nationals did not go the way. So he also mentioned, like, because of the way the season went, I want to kind of return and give it one more go, try to come back and play again. Is that here in D.C. or is that elsewhere? Writing on the wall would say that he would like to be here, but it just depends if Mike Rizzo is going to, if they can come to terms of, like, a small, shorter deal. You know, it would be a one-year deal most likely uh, for a couple million dollars. And or does Howie Kendrick or does some other team see value in Howie Kendrick and hey look what he did in the postseason look what he has done throughout the course of his career we can have him as a backup first baseman DH the universal DH be a thing mm-hmm. next year as well um, and he'll be a, a strong bat to have as we try to continue to contend elsewhere yeah and the thing about Howie Kendrick is it's almost obviously it's not the same as Ryan Zimmerman because Ryan Zimmerman's a lifelong um, you know Nationals player but Howie Kendrick when you anytime you're debating retirement I think it's kind of I'm going to stay here or, you know, I'm done playing. And he said he's going to see how he heals um, in the offseason, how the offseason goes and, you know, debate his future with the Nationals. But, you know, yeah, he could be a a backup first baseman. He's kind of a liability anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Um, If Ryan Zimmerman comes back, other than DH, we don't really know where Howie Kendrick's going to fit into this this infield. But, um, you know, he certainly had... He did exactly what the Nationals needed him to do, and he was a huge part of that World Series win. Yeah, hit 344 in 2019, only 275 this past season in just 25 games. So he played in less than half the games this season um, and didn't finish the season on the active roster. So Howie Kendrick, another kind of question mark. You know, it's it's crazy because these guys are all kind of intertwined. You know, we mentioned starting with Ryan Zimmerman, and then you go to Howie Kendrick, and that's Drupal Cabrera also. You know, he could be a first baseman, but he's, you know, we've seen him play kind of all over the infield. And we know that Davey Martinez loves his switch hitting ability, and that played a huge factor in the postseason run last year, uh, being able to play matchups with him, especially in Houston with the DH. So if it's a universal DH again, that increases as Drupal Cabrera's value, much like Howie Kendrick. So does the Nationals try to work that out? I don't see that playing out. I think that's more less. I think that's less likely than bringing back Howie Kendrick or Ryan Zimmerman, even though he's a little more versatile. I think they can will try to go younger elsewhere and and fill that so role. So of these guys in the infield, Howie, Eric, Astrubal, mm-hmm. who Zim. do you, Zim, who do you see being the most likely to return? Zim and Howie. Zim and Howie. Yeah, I think Zim and because Zimmerman because he's Mr. National, Howie because I think when healthy he's the best hitter out of all of them uh, and still has some pop left that the Nationals would take that. Yeah. You know, we talked about you mentioned briefly earlier finding someone to protect Juan Soto in the lineup. That was supposed to be Howie Kendrick. 
and he was he was hurt all season. So if he is anything like we've seen him over the past couple of years here in D.C., even to start this season, then I think they would take it that risk just because you know he is a contact hitter. Mm-hmm. He's going to get on base. He can hit a handful of home runs. He can come up clutch in big moments. And if there's a universal DH, that's his spot right there. That's his role. You can go younger elsewhere um, and fill in the left-handed first baseman, the backup third baseman, second baseman, and Cabrera switch hitting, whatever that may be. I think Zim and Howie are definitely the more likely to come back than Asdrubal or Eric. I think Eric, it's it's like we're doing a tier. It's Zim, 1A, Howie, 1B. Mm -hmm. Two is... It's just Drupal. Three, four, five, five is Eric. like Eric is just. I think he's just out. I, I no, just, Eric. I, I just don't see it any way that they bring him back. Yeah. But I, I don't think same thing with his Drupal, But it's a little less likely. I think a little more likely. You're right say. about that, and especially with the universal DH, that could have a big impact on how mm-hmm. these dominoes fall for this infield. Um, the good thing about Asdrubal Cabrera is he can play multiple positions. Um, yeah. He hit 323 this year. Um, he does have that mutual option this year. So he can, the Nationals are looking for big bats that can can play multiple positions, mm-hmm. um, and he does provide that for them. So that's the, the one good thing going for him. Howie Kendrick would really just fit into that DH spot. Mm-hmm. Another big name, let's move away from the infield for a little bit, uh, but because this, this is probably the second biggest name on this list, is Adam Eaton. Uh, the club has the option for $10.5 million for 2021 or a $1.5 million buyout. Um, we mentioned earlier with Michael A. Taylor departing, uh, and I'm assuming the departure of Adam Eaton, too, that the Nationals will try to make a splash in free agency and sign a corner outfielder. Um well, I think we'll always look back at Adam Eaton's time in D.C. Again, I'm not, but I'm also not saying that it's completely over. Obviously, that could change. But mm-hmm. if this is it, which I'm predicting, you know, everyone's going to be like, well, who won the Lucas Giolito Adam Eaton trade? And, I, and we talked about this before. It can be both. You know, both teams can have gotten what they needed. The Nationals got what they needed out of Adam Eaton. Mm-hmm. A hard, grinded out kind of guy. A guy who's not, who's like, he always has a chip on his shoulder because he's not supposed to be here. A shorter, kind of not that power hitting outfielder. Uh, who's just scrappy and brought the right attitude to mesh with this club. And then not to mention, he played really well in the postseason and was also able to lead off or be that second uh, bat like trade uh, behind Trey Turner uh, and kind of set up back then Anthony Rendon Juan Soto. Um, but, you know, Adam Eaton served his purpose with this team uh, if this is it for him. I think, yeah, if we have seen Adam Eaton play his last game with the Nationals, we can say that the trade worked out mm-hmm. on both ends. We can say that, you know, that was successful for the Nationals. Um, just this past year, he just didn't look the same in the field, especially plays back at the fence. He just he didn't look right. Yeah. His um, strikeout rate was up. His walk rate was down. You know, and when we first saw him with the Nationals, he went deep into at-bats. That was his one thing. You know, he could, you know, take – this year he saw just a ton less pitches than he did. Mm-hmm. Didn't look good at the plate. Um, you know, swung way more often at that first pitch and just just didn't look the same. So if, if we've seen his last um, at-bat with the Nationals, it, it worked out for everybody. Yeah. But from the writing on the wall, what we the moves that we saw in the outfield at the end of this season, it seems like we have seen him play his last game with the Nationals. Yeah, 226 this past season, uh, only for a 669 ops, hit four home runs with 17 RBIs. That's not his forte anyways, but still not great numbers across the board. Um, yeah, and, and, and yeah, I th- I th- we'll have this conversation again once it officially becomes that 
they they bought him out, which I would assume happened. Uh, to the ten and a half million dollars for one more year of Adamine doesn't seem worth it to me. And again, we're expecting, at least I am, an upgrade in the outfield spot. Uh, going after a big name free agent mm-hmm. to fill either left or right to go along with Juan Soto and Victor Robles. You, they're looking for someone else to fill that role and not play the style that Adam Eaton plays. You know, they're not looking for a scrappy top of the lineup guy. They're looking for a power bat to, like you mentioned, protect Juan Soto. So that's the thing I thought they're going to go and you can save 10 and a half, or I guess it would be uh, $9 million because um, mm-hmm. of the one and a half yep. million dollar buyout. You can save $9 million by going elsewhere um, and trying to add that for an even longer period of time. I don't know what one more year of Adam Eaton uh, is going to get you at this point. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And it, it's the bat. It's the bat that they need out there. Um, and the writing's kind of on the wall, and we'll kind of see see where that will go. Um, let's talk about Sean Doolittle. Okay. Um, right? Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about Sean Doolittle, um, who we could have seen um, the last time on the mound for the Nationals. And uh, that's a tough one because Sean Doolittle, um, like Michael A. Taylor, is a fan favorite, a really likable guy. Um, and, you know, this year just just didn't go right for him. His velocity was way down, got hurt. Um, 86% of the balls hit against him were line drives, you know, on and off the I.L., um, you know, and finished his season on the I.L. And it was sad, sad to see for, for Sean Doolittle. It's crazy that he only pitched seven and two-thirds innings this season. Like, mm-hmm. that blows my mind. And he, in 11 games, and he finished three, ERA almost six, 0-2. Oh really tough statistical year for Sean Doolittle. Uh, obviously, the injuries were the major factor there. It was a real shame to see him come back, pitch well, and then get hurt again with a different injury. Um, we know he's going to be working out at that uh Pitching facility in Seattle, mm-hmm. uh, driveline I think it's called. Yeah, um, I have to look that up. But Something line, that pitching yeah. that has helped reliever pitchers kind of rebuild themselves in the offseason before. Um, the question is, is who who's gonna take a chance on, on Sean Doolittle? I, I think if you if you tuned into our our sister podcast, the Mass and All Access podcast on the Orioles side, uh, Brendan Mortensen and Paul Mancano did uh, free agent signs for the Orioles, and Sean Doolittle was one of them. A possible free agent, not likely, but one mm-hmm. of them they would like to see. Maybe uh, he would be a veteran pitcher in their bullpen. But the question was brought up: Who's going to take a flyer out on him? Because only the Nationals have a good book on Sean Doolittle right now. Because he has not, he was not good this season. Uh, he was injured, so the Nationals have the most up-to-date book on him in terms of what he's when he has been good, and that was early 2019. Close to the end of 2019 and postseason run, and that's pretty. And then maybe one or two outings after coming off mm-hmm. the IL this season. So then you're looking back to his numbers back in 2018 for like a f- really good full season. That's two years removed now. So I, the my question would be: I don't know which team other than the Nationals would take a chance on him with his injury history, with not the best recent history of production when he does play or does pitch. Uh, so it's a sticky situation. Also with his departure. Sam Freeman already elected free agency. Um, lefty out there, yeah. You need a lefty in the bullpen. And I would think that Mike Rizzo would be okay. You know, if the, if he looks good in these workouts, if they, ha- if they have scouts there checking him out, I can see them taking a chance on a short-term deal for Sean Doolittle for one, maybe two more years. Well, that's the thing is there's there's no worse time to have it these injuries, real, right. to have it's, a bad season than your yeah. walk year. Like, um, his value went way down, but the Nationals are the one team that has that good look on him, knows what he is capable of, um, and 
maybe depending on how he works on his mechanics this offseason, what he's able to come up with out there, they might take a chance on bringing him back um, and might be able to get him a little bit cheaper. So my, so my question is, they just gave a three-year deal uh, to 36-year-old Will Harris, or I guess he was 35 last year. Sean Doolittle will be, or actually just turned 34, so he'll be 35 near the end of 2021 season. Why not give a one- or two-year deal to Sean Doolittle? Now, maybe he gets a better deal somewhere else. That's out of your hands. But I would imagine, or I don't see the harm in at least entertaining the idea of bringing him back. You know what he can give you when he's healthy and when he's pitching well. You added Will Harris and Daniel Hudson for the short term next couple of seasons to protect Sean Doolittle in that back end of the bullpen. You saw the emergence of Tanner Rainey. You saw the emergence of Kyle Finnegan in this bullpen. He will not be, if he does come back, Sean Doolittle will not be required to do as much as we've seen him in the past. Mm -hmm. That might help him in terms of resting, uh, being able to be fresh, uh, and hopefully his mental health too in a normal season, mm -hmm. be more like the Doolittle we knew from 2018 early on in 2019. Uh, and like you, like we said, the Nationals have the that the most fresh in their mind as opposed to other teams who haven't seen them. And you talk about relying on him less in 2019 when, when you said he had a good start of the season and then he was good towards the end. That's because in the middle he was overworked. And mm -hmm. that's when we saw those injuries. That's when we saw him start to struggle and kind of have to reinvent himself. And... Um, if they're relying on him less, maybe he'll, he will be more reliable. They need a reliable lefty out there. And and he wants to be in D.C. He's expressed that he wants to be in D.C. Him and his wife both have. So maybe the Nationals will be able to work something out depending on how he how he does training this offseason. Of course, fan favorite in the area. I, if anything, it's a, it's a good story. It's, you know, an easy guy to root for. Mm -hmm. Fans love him. You see doodle jerseys a lot. I mean... I don't know how many relievers like sell jerseys like Sean Doolittle does, um, especially when the, <laughs> with the all-star pitching staff like they have in the starting rotation. So, you know, he has embedded himself in this area. Aside from baseball, it would be at least a welcomed return if Sean mm -hmm. Doolittle to, were to come back and pitch for the Nationals again. Um, and also, you know, what he's meant to the city, this team, obviously winning a World Series as well. You don't want him – it would be a real shame for him to go out this way. I, there's definitely a possibility that we've seen the last of him in, in D.C. Of course, we're not, you know, not trying to hide that fact. But, you know, it would be a kind of – you would always look back and be like, that was always a guy we rooted for, mm -hmm. always great to the media, always awesome with fans, awesome in the community. It was a real shame that after he won a World Series, that's how his time here ended. So, you know, I, I could see him coming back. And he, But he's faced so much adversity in mm -hmm. his career as a pitcher, you know, reinvented himself as a reliever to keep playing the game of baseball. He was ready to give it up and he's fought back from so many issues and, and works at it and, and kind of works things out. It always works itself out. So maybe this will be a, be a yeah. similar situation. Another big name, um, just to kind of wrap up this free agent class that the nationals have entering is Anibal Sanchez. He had the club has a $12 million option on him for 2021 and a $2 million buyout. Um, I would imagine that that will be bought out, uh, you look at the obviously the top big three. You have assuming Joe Ross coming back next year, Eric Fetty, Austin Voth. I would imagine that you could fill in that fourth, fifth starting rotation mm -hmm. spot with someone else for a little more on the cheap. Uh, mm -hmm. You'll you would save ten million dollars by buying Anibal Sanchez out. Couple that with the nine million you could save 
Adam e- by by buying out Adam Eaton, that's nineteen million dollars uh, that you have on the books to either sign that outfielder or add to the pitching staff rotation, whichever you choose, mm-hmm. and who, depending on who's available. Um, so I would I would f- assume and foresee that Anibal Sanchez gets bought out. Um, and unfortunately, we see the last of him in a Nazi uniform. Yeah, after this past year, you know, in 2019, he was. They were trying to make this, you know, the big four. He was such a big part of that rotation. And you know, Max Scherzer said, "Don't forget about Annie Ball. Mm-hmm. He he's just as much a part of this big three as as any of us are." But then he finished the season with back-to-back wins, but just was not the same pitcher. At, pitcher at all only made it six innings once in his 11 starts he was charged with the most earned runs in the league his whip was the highest it's been since 2007 um you know he's a pitcher who lives off of um inducing weak contact and his hard hit rate was way up this year um i i think we have seen the last of him in in a nationals uniform yep and we'll always kind of like michael a taylor you know we'll always have fond memories you know we'll remember he finished some of the great pitching outings he had in 2019, of course, game one of the NLCS and and um, in St. Louis, taking no hitter late into the game. So, yeah, I mean, Anibal, you, for what you were brought in to do, mission accomplished. Mm-hmm. You know, you did what you were, were supposed to do with this club for a couple of years. Uh, it's just that price tag is going to be a little too high to validate going another year with him and that's it it's it's tough to see anytime you're dismantling a a championship team you saw these guys who were some of the oldest in the league and then some of the guys who were the youngest in the league all come together do their part and and now we're kind of seeing it dismantle and we see guys Mm -hmm. start to walk some of these fan favorites start to walk and that's difficult because you look at back at what a big part of what a big part of 2019 they were and, you know, saw what they were able to do. And then you look at this past season, look at their contract status, realize it, it's not realistic to continue. Um, and just like they're putting this putting this um, coaching staff together, it seems like they're going to put together a, a pretty new team. Yep, yep. And then I think, to me, the final big name to touch on would be Kurt Suzuki in a walk year. Uh, obviously, second stint with the Nationals. Um, him and Young Gomes proved to be a very good duo behind the play, both with catching and their combined offensive production. The two of them in the two years that they uh, caught together for this Nationals club were able to produce solid numbers from a catcher's position. And, and that was something that the Nationals hadn't got consistently in a couple of years. The Matt Weir's experiment was a disaster. Wilson Ramos had that great one season, but then was hurt before the postseason. Um, so... I think with their powers combined, Kurt Suzuki and Jan Gomes, kind of like Anibal, Worked did your out, job. Yeah. yeah, did your job. I just don't know if you can bring back a – let's see. He's going to be 30 – he just turned 37. Uh, I don't think you can bring back a 37-year-old catcher um, no. in a year when you're trying to retool and rebuild. Plus, I mean, there's a big free agent catcher on the market, going to be named JT Romuto, who was going to be one of my top targets this offseason for the Nationals. Pairing him with Jan Gomes behind the plate – is going to be way more effective as opposed to investing again in the 37-year-old Kurt Suzuki. I don't see them investing in him, but it will be interesting to see what type of catcher they go they go after this year, whether it will be a veteran guy or a guy they're going to have to pay some money like JT. Um, but Kurt Suzuki, his arm's just not there anymore. He's not hitting for power like they needed him to, so I think his time is also up with the Nationals. But it'll be interesting to see wh- who they go after to partner back there with Jan Gomes. Yep. All right, just real quick before we get out here, looking at the comments on the Nationals Facebook page. Thanks for uh, commenting along. Virginia White says, so, so sad to see Michael A. Taylor go. Wish him only the best. Um, Michael K. Widener says, love Michael A. Good guy. 
Brandon Cantrell says, I'm glad Michael A. has a World Series ring. I think we all echo those sentiments um, and wish Michael A. Taylor the best. That's going to be do it for this episode of the Mass and All Access podcast. Again, thanks for making us a part of your day. Hope you enjoy the rest of the week. Shout out to Paul Mancano for all his good work behind the scenes. And be sure to give the Mass and All Access podcast a follow on your favorite platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you find podcasts, you can find the Mass and All Access podcast. At Amy Jennings News for Amy on Twitter, I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco. Feel free to give us a follow and tweet us your thoughts on Michael A. Taylor's time with the Nationals or uh, what a potential free agents nationals could be leaving or returning uh, this off season. Thanks again for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next week.